A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops, if we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Smackdown Review. I'm Michael Hamflet, and I'm joined by my fellow daddy boy, Michael Sidgwick, to discuss everything that happened on this week's episode of Friday Night Smackdown. But first, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Smackdown, but also Monday Night Raw, NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, Pay-Per-Views, Premium Live Events. We also wrestle interviews interviews have roundtable discussions and have a round for the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture uh first couple of programming notes you will notice the sound quality is not what you're used to from us at what culture towers there is a work going on today if you've already listened to the rampage review and why would you have not you'll know this but that explains why myself and sidgwick sound a bit more uh pandemic-y than usual uh for today's recordings and of course adam wilborn is off sick get well soon um but to smackdown sidge um Last week's, of course, for various reasons, not just the uh, Sammy and the Bloodline stuff, but was earning some raves across the board. Next week's is the uh, the season premiere, uh, which stands also as the go-home to this week's Extreme Rules, which is also, um, you know, getting some largely positive praise for the card. What did you make of this kind of in-the-middle effort? Or have I just spoiled your take? You just spoiled the take. I'll tell you <laughs> what, you know what I'm like on these podcasts with WWE? More often than not, I'm a bit of a miserable bastard. There are certain ways with which they tell their stories that I will just never like, and I will remind you why I don't like them. However, there was something on the show that absolutely ruled, and it was so good, and I am really looking forward to putting that particular bit over. And we will get into what this week's QR code revealed later yes. in the show. Yes. Um, but we open with, I think what most people are agreeing, is currently the, uh, the highlight of SmackDown and indeed WWE and in many ways, all the wrestling perhaps. It was Sami Zayn um, with Solo Sokoa. Many people are saying it. And, uh, <laughs> enough are against uh, Madcap Moss and Ricochet. It was your sort of, uh, I'm not going to do Will Bond's usual play-by-play, um, but it was very much a case of trying to exhibit the immediate chemistry that exists between Solo Sokoa and Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn as this, uh, bothersome little scamp, but he can obviously go. And Solo Sokoa, who thus far I would suggest has been built quite successfully in this enforcer role. It's not so much about what he's doing, and we know through sort of extensively seeing him on 2.0 that he was a level above some of those developmental prospects, but they're making him almost immediately, well, kind of a Triple H guy, hard-hitting, big impact stuff. They don't mind leaning on the story elements of this, Ricochet was uh, able to be like the big bumping guy for this. He was getting bumped by Madcap Moss, like Madcap Moss was throwing him around. So in effect, you had kind of like perfect opponents to sell the Samian Sikawa story, 
which of course led to the finish where Moss was kind of the sacrificial lamb for this one, where um, Solar Sokol got that big. Well, it's like it's like a swing in you and argue, but they want you to see it as a rock bottom because of all the bloodline links and things like that. Sami Zayn gets to kind of run interference to get them there. And Moss and Ricochet were there to just be lined up to be losers as they kickstart this next chapter of the Bloodline story off the back of last week's. As far as, a, I guess, week one in this latest this latest development, I thought this was a success. But I think as a result, people probably sleep on what was some pretty impressive work here. Madcap Moss is, a for a guy, a jacked-up hoss of a guy, has got this awesome pace and fire-up that he does. Um, and Ricochet is clearly, like, I don't know if there's going to be a push that develops off this, but it's clearly just back in the mood working on the Triple H. So, I, like, personally for me, I thought this was, like, a multifarious success story, even if it was one of the matches that nobody will think about again in a few weeks' time. Yeah, I mean, it was good, not go away great. Um, I would like to see Ricochet be Ricochet. I think his contribution to the gift sphere was kind of unforgettable, so much so that anything less than him blowing your nipples off your tits, <laughs> not good enough for a performer of his caliber. And especially when he works a style that he does, you don't want to just do it out with him for ages. While he's still in his physical athletic prime, you kind of want him to do more than stuff like this. But ultimately, look, people need to lose. Um, and stories must be advanced with the most important players, and Sami Zayn is one of the most important players in the entire promotion right now, so I will take that for now, but as the weeks and months go by, I would still like to see Ricochet be Ricochet again. I think it presents a unique um, booking challenge for Triple H to not book within the pretty soapy and at times contrived parameters of WWE TV and get an act like Ricochet over as a pro wrestler and you know you can say pro wrestling as much as you like on your tv and if you're not doing enough with the gifted pro wrestlers on television and i'm sorry the, the the words ring hollow so i will let one that i will let that one play out but ultimately this was um a neat pretty unspectacular but very necessary beat in this story with Sami Zayn. he's now having to be a more credible player. He's not just this pissant who's trying to get in. He's not just this sacrificial lamb for the bloodline. He's not just getting strung along. He's potentially like a game changer to solidify this faction and to help um, the bloodline maintain their stranglehold over WWE. So as part of that, you kind of need to take him seriously when the bell rings again. And I think um, this did a very good job of that. Ironically, he spent much of the match bumping and feeding in solo Nikawa is the uh, the difference maker, the the sort of the strategist on the outside who knows how to get it done. But again, that just adds more nuance to the story. The idea that one day Sami Zayn's gonna be an absolutely massive baby face. So you don't really want to boo him. So you can yeah. boo Sikawa and you can watch Sami Zayn rediscover that form and him bumping and feeding, despite it not being my favorite kind of match structure for uh, Mad Cat Moss, that like he really looked up for it. Um, there's a kind of a flailing quality with WWE TV matches and particularly guys who are nearer the end of their physical primes than the beginning. There is a mechanical element that can never get past and WWE is all too um, ready to sort of enable that. But I just thought there was something about Sami Zayn's performance here where he's zipping himself about. He's making Madcap look like an, this propulsive beast of a guy. Um, made it look like the result was really in doubt before Sikoa made the difference. And he just looked bang up for it. He looks like he's, to use a total 
football manager cliche. He's literally firing on all cylinders at the minute. I wasn't that high on the AJ Styles, but that's because it's a default role match that has to go 20 minutes. Mm. This is more what I want to see of Sami Zayn in the ring. I thought he balanced the act of, I'm turning babyface one day, but in the meantime, I have to put over babyfaces when I work them. Like genuinely, masterfully, he's just one of the best, if not the best performers in the game at the minute. Well, we'll keep it on Sami Zayn. And I think two areas that I think people are probably, well, hopefully quite excited to hear us talk about because of the enthusiasm that these two segments separately were greeted on throughout the show. Because this was kind of all we got of the bloodline in terms of the in-ring. So there was two backstage segments that were worthwhile to note in terms of Sami Zayn development. One came immediately after the match. Um, obviously, Zayn and Solo Sikawa heading back after their success. And uh, Jey Uso is uh, there opening the door to the bloodline locker room. He's uh, buzzing for Solo Sikawa, but he still refuses to give any credit to Sami Zayn. But he will say that this is, uh, you know, like, he's, he's always on his last warning as far as Jey Uso is concerned. You must never put the bloodline in danger. He's still livid that he has to welcome him in, but at least for now he's playing ball because Roman has told him so. Sami Zayn, tremendous here in, uh, as if to say, well, sorry, take that up with your manager because uh, he seems like me more than likes you these days. Um, you could hear the crowd reacting to that as well. And uh, they all go into, obviously, their locker room together. Jay's furious. And then later on, which I think is the, the added thing that I think people, again, you know, feel, and I would include myself in this, are starting to trust the process because the process under Triple H is gradually revealing itself. We'll get to Kevin Owens being on this show later on and what he was directly involved in. But they didn't waste an opportunity to give the people what they want, which are these little teases and these little reminders that from a distance, Kevin Owens is not blind to the developments going on with his former best friend. And he he sees what we're all watching too. And he feels the feelings that we're all feeling for Sammy. Uh, and there he's had this little interaction with uh, Drew McIntyre and Johnny Gargano. But then he bumps into Sammy Zayn, who's wearing the, um, obviously, his bloodline gear. And Owens just references that he needs his new shirt. He kind of looks down on him with a bit of a sense of disappointment. That was all it was this week because, well, it's October. And if this all heads where we speculate it will, there is a long way to go. And there are a number of big matches with which you can explore this dynamic. But I thought, like, why not? They're in a position where they were using Owens for the absolutely huge bet that he got on this broadcast. So it would be almost wasteful to WWE not to play with our emotions as a fan base, considering that we all want to manifest this. Yeah, again, the only word, and this is incredible. Like, I honestly think at times I preferred Vince's WWE to Triple H's just because everyone was licking his ass. <laughs> the word I'm going to use is masterful here. Masterful. Yeah. So the idea is, and there are actually two of them, you want to slowly pile the sympathy on Sami Zayn because one day, unless they completely have misread the room or they are totally incompetent, and increasingly I don't think either of those things is true. They want to do two things at once. This thing has got a dual remit. One, you want to very slowly turn Sami Zayn babyface or at least make him do these really funny Sami Zayn things with which he endears himself to the crowd. But... To do that, you kind of have to have him be the dickhead to Jay Uso at the same time. Yeah. I'm getting glimpses of both sides of this Sami Zayn character, the present and the future. And I think that just, again, the word is a masterful balance of both. And the thing is, as well, it works so well because he's kind of a dickhead, this character. <laughs> he's almost the worst kind of dickhead, like a sycophantic dickhead who doesn't realize that the more he does this, like he deserves it. He keeps poking the bear, that is Jey Uso, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And on some level, if he costs something for the bloodline or he takes it too far, 
Jay Uso's well within his rights has punched him in the face. Yeah. And yet I will be crushed when that happens. So I don't know how they're doing this, but it's just the gift that is Sami Zayn's performance. And if anything, his desperation is so palpable, almost to be kind of cringeworthy. It's like the cringe comedy thing of, oh, don't keep doing this to Jay Uso. You're so close yeah. to just being all the way in. He's kind of being his own worst enemy that ironically like it's going he's going to be so much more sympathetic when it all blows up in his face because he's just so desperate to be this kind of character and to yeah. be sort of in this group i don't really know how to articulate it properly but basically the bigger the more desperate dickhead he is and bear in mind how much i hate this in wwe baby faces ordinarily the more i'm going to really really sympathize with and just feel devastated for him when it doesn't happen they've got something like remarkable with the Sami Zayn character and it's do you show the glimpse of the baby face that's coming or do you just make him even more of a tosser realistically and it's kind of why not both this is what gets him over and it really it's, yeah. it's like when you just see someone just desperate and desperate and desperate to succeed even if that sometimes manifests as him just taking the piss and doing things that ordinarily should see that he gets what's coming to him it's really just going to be devastating instead I think um the fact now that we're on the verge of a war games that surely has to feature the bloodline on one side and then for example the royal rumble or the elimination chamber where typically title defenses are, are won and lost and decided those feel like ideal situations where Sami Zayn will be made to choose and to the to your point about uh when it when it is that Jey Uso finally snaps and smacks him in the head you could visualize that happening in war games because Sami hesitates attacking Owens and there's a seed of doubt for a second about whether or not Zayn has it in him to beat up his own friend. So then Jey Uso is within his rights to slap him upside the head. Yeah. For example, Roman doesn't see that. So he's just angry with Jay or something, you know, like something yeah, like that. Yeah. There's loads that can do with this. There's loads. Yeah. You remember when it was um, rumored that Kevin Owens was going to leave and he'd put the coordinates to Mount Rushmore on his Twitter. And then shortly following that, Sami Zayn was said to have uh, been nearing the end date of his contract. And fast, fast forward, and you think, and you would say to that person who was just watching those developments on, oh, by the way, Kevin and Sammy both resigned with WWE, but guess what? It was 1 million percent the absolute best moves in their career. Crazy. Just crazy. It's uh, it's more to add on um, to the, our wacky end of year contents as like an all-time wacky 2022, isn't it? Yeah. You would never would have seen coming. Um Speaking of things that you absolutely will see coming, it was within it was within their Karrion Cross's Derek video message to Drew McIntyre that we got the first of our um, now requisite White Rabbit Fiend teasers. This was with a QR. There was later somebody holding up a sign in the crowd behind Michael Cole and uh, Corey Graves. But this was the QR that sent people on another White Rabbit Fiend journey. I'll run down like the Karrion Cross thing was just I'm gonna beat your ass extreme rules, but through Derek. Mason. Come back to me on it though. Come back to me. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but the the fiend teases the white rabbit teases for anybody that um, and this is not my sleuthing. This is the sleuthing of millions of people on Twitter. It's just whoever it becomes this little arms race. But because of when SmackDown airs in America, by the time you're waking up on Saturday morning UK time, people have already done the 15 tweet threads. Um, so this is from nobody in particular. This is just a sort of a collection of the various things that this week's teases showed up. So Karen Cross is doing his bit. 
about how he's going to beat Drew McIntyre and a QR code flashes up. Now, that in itself is noteworthy, I think, because there has been some speculation that it is more than just Bray Wyatt. It is, in fact, perhaps a gang of all these oddballs that Triple H has randomly or seemingly randomly returned to television. Um, and the QR code flashes up and it leads to a link, um, which is www.com forward slash 1911. That video has some Morse code, which apparently, um, you know, you can decode some sort of hidden audio message from Wyatt himself. Um, but at the link... Uh, the 1911 link, there is shots of Porky Pig, a cartoon wolf, and a slaughterhouse, which, of course, people are leading to the uh, the various sort of characters within the Firefly Funhouse and all these sort of references and how Bray would neg himself because they would really neg him. Like Vince McMahon would neg him as well. Uh, the White Rabbit icon within this Porky Pig video can be hovered over, revealing TS underscore S10E6, which... I mean, fair play to these nerds because they're doing the work that I certainly wouldn't do. They've made, they've realised that is one of those uh, episode title codes for an episode of The Simpsons, and it was the episode where Homer, of course, makes that uh, green juice that's given people all these sort of like hippie freakouts. And Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit plays within that episode. Of course, it was uh, I forget the title of the episode, but you know the one I've got that. Yeah, like, yeah. So rediscovers his roots because he wants to bond with his mom. They're always very serious and sincere episodes, aren't they? But that was all all the more for Bray. The 1911 number as well was also tied to that um, when he was dressed as the Mad Hatter in the Firefly Funhouse that time. There's a 1911 tag on his hat that was never acknowledged at the time because they would just toss stuff away all the time. So I'm guessing it's something they're going back to. Imagine uh, more... you put this much effort into things that matter. I know, I know. There was, Imagine that. I know. It's the, because the, the Morse code, to go back to the Morse code, somebody had spelled out Azazel Reborn, um, which was a biblical character. And uh, Azazel is, amongst a number of other hypothetical things, the big takeaway that people are into is Azazel was the leader of some rebellious angels, which again sort of suggests that maybe this is part of some sort of stable. Um, there was, what else was there? Oh, I saw something over the weekend where now if you ring White Rabbit's records and um, say, feed your head, which was the message, of course, with the White Rabbit, and some people recording this actually did this, and they got a big pop out of it, I suppose. The member of staff at White Rabbit Records said, let him in, and then hung up. That's, what a nice amount of effort everybody has made so that everybody can really enjoy this. You know, it's, it's always going to be for brace. At some point, the bell's got to ring, but yeah. I I can't lie, I'm enjoying watching, like, after the fact, people find all this stuff. So I can scroll down and go, oh, yeah, it turns out the white rabbit led to the white rabbit. I'm not doing backflips or anything, but I genuinely admire the work. And you said you had something to add on the fact that all of this factored into a carrying cross vignette as well. I've got nothing to add on how this inf uh, impacted the carrying cross thing, because ultimately I know Bray Wyatt's coming at this point, and it's yeah. not my kind of thing, and I just, I will wait and see what happens, because after literal nine, eight, nine years of failure with Bray Wyatt, a half decent, well thought out viral marketing campaign is not going to convince me yet until it happens that it's going to go any different. It's, kind spooky. Of shock you. it's, it's spooky CM Punk, but unfortunately, Bray Wyatt may never be CM Punk in terms of the in ring return. It's never going to be CM Punk. <laughs> Can I just shock you? Yes. I, and I know why he's recording them for now, till, he, till the next one's held in America. I quite like these carrying cross backstage vignettes, you know. Yeah, I think he cuts a very intimidating presence. I think the verbiage isn't too stupid in wordplay. I honestly think it's significantly better produced and less hokey than it ever was in NXT Black and Gold. He just comes across 
in these backstage segments as something approaching the real deal. Again, mm. the bell rings on cross, just as it does with Bray, and those elbow, those forearms to the back of the neck or to the upper, they look more like a massage than something that could actually really hurt someone. So the bell will ring eventually on Karrion Cross. But in terms of the presentation of the character, like it's he's good. He is very, very good in these. And WWE so far, apart from the stupid black and white thing, with the backstage things at least, they are getting out of their own way and just getting to the point. He's got away with a threat. Mm. It doesn't feel too hokey or stupid. Uh, I'm into them. I'm shockingly quite into them. The, I thought it was noteworthy as well. Um, obviously, the fireball angle was... And like I said this on the review last week, I, like they all showed good instincts to crack Yeah. Drew else. especially. Yeah, in that sense. Who knows his worth? The, um, the black and white getting abandoned after a week might even suggest that the like we know Triple H is more online than he would ever like to admit. But can that power sometimes be used for good? Because they dropped the black and white thing after a week when it was yeah. rounded on. So maybe that's even them picking up that feedback and thinking, yeah, that wasn't that's not a hill worth dying on, is keeping the screen black and white. Um and on Drew, we go to him next. There's um uh, Austin Theory's giving him grief in a backstage segment. So Drew's like, I'm going to kick your ass right now. Mm. Um, before they can even have and complete this impromptu match, um, it gets interrupted uh, by uh, the Alpha Academy, who run down to help Austin Theory out against Drew McIntyre for whatever reason. This is hardly um, Survivor Series cross-brand, can only happen once a year type stuff. This it all, it all does feel, to be fair to them, as we kind of gave certain leeway to AEW we should mention here of course and you know thoughts to everybody still suffering the impact of the hurricane in America but there was reports that Smackdown was similar to Dynamite and Rampage having to be ever slightly rejigged and certain talent weren't available and certain talent were due to the hurricane and wrestlers living in Florida and whatnot so this like half random half not because why would you reject an Owens in Canada pop but this half random half not arrangement of superstars being used twice on Smackdown might have had something to do with that but sure enough uh, the Alpha Academy and Theory are beating down Drew uh, and Johnny Gargano and Kevin Owens uh, continue their relationship from Raw and come and make the save, which sets up our impromptu main event. Thoughts on any and all of this? Right. I'm going to try and choose my words very carefully because it's important to do so when it pertains to like a natural disaster and all the rest of it, right? I'm sorry, but I don't know how it is possible that as soon as a wrestling booker is confronted with a moderate, I would say, loss of personnel, there were still loads of stars on the show. Roman was never going to be on it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know why the take is prevailing that right. Okay, well, we're short of three or four people than we thought we were going to be. We're going to have to do some absolute garbage WWE stuff on the show. Sorry, I just don't know how that connection. Oh, they can do rubbish because I understand like phoning it in or not doing anything exciting or making a match five or ten minutes longer than it needs to be across a few segments i can't get and i refuse to get this idea that a booker faced with the odd people not being able to attend the show automatically turns the show into like a really horrible wwe mess of cliches and fake contrivances just mm -hmm. that does not wash with me at all because the idea here is that what a Student entrances, the backstage segment that set it up, the in-ring action, the unceremonious end to the in-ring action in the first match. 40 minutes of the show just weren't accounted for what was going to happen. Yeah. 
Oh no, it's, it's you know what I mean, just what was going to happen. Um, yeah, an impromptu match that is very conveniently arrived at with a backstage segment that just happened to happen that ended in disqualification. The ramifications for which, just on a general level, have not even been considered. So you could just theoretically, if you're a cowardly heel who doesn't want to wrestle, which is still a ridiculous trope that does happen in this organization, you can just do it all the time because there's no repercussions. Setting up a fun main event. Ter- terrible writing. Terrible yeah. writing, I'm sorry. I uh, I can't disagree with that. I do want to pick up your point on... Uh... I will say one thing, sorry, before. I do like how... No, I don't. They are bringing together a babyface squadron mm, yeah. bloodline at war games. That's all well and good. Do it better. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. We've like you, I think, have given credit to how Triple H used to kind of arrive at those yeah. baby faces and heels. Really good at it. Yeah. So we'll see how we get on with that. Um, yeah, on heels that would rather do other things than wrestle. Um, we'll we'll put both of these two together because I think we have a certain emotional investment in this. Yeah, the maximum male models want to bring home a title because they're mindful that Max Dupree is running out of patience with them. Uh, he's buzzing, obviously, because surely that means they're going to wrestle the Usos. Uh, oh, no, it means they uh, want to hold the title for the longest ever pose held. Um, we'll cobble these two together because it got way more fun in the second segment. So there, <laughs> we go back to them later on the show. I should point out, by the way, I think Hit Row came in and gave him the angry face after that, but we'll get to a hit roll in a second. Jesus Christ. So anyway, backstage we go again later on in the show to the Maxim Mayer models who are going to break the record, but Max Dupree just breaks it off. Uh, and off comes the M belt that he's got and uh, simply says, uh, huh, this was never for me. And he's about to storm off and leaves with a... Yeah. Uh, Graves knocks out some bollocks about this being there. You know, the split that he's found it hard to take since the Rockers broke up once upon a time. But I'm not going to let him ruin what has been for us just there. I think the latest in the realisation of what LA Knight might have had all along. I feel a little bit sorry for Maximum Male Models because we this is WWE. And even in Triple H's WWE, I sense that the comedy act are about to just get absolutely flushed so that he can salvage LA Knight. But salvaging is what he's doing. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ironically, this is the first time I've thought, you know what, they can coexist. Just 
the maximum male models and LA Knight do a short program before LA Knight does some yeah stuff in the mid card, yeah. and then maximum male models can continue to do stupid bollocks because the stupid bollocks I find, in spite of myself, phenomenally entertaining. Actually, that's a complete note, a bit of hyperbole, mildly amusing. I, I go like this. <laughs> do you know what? I, nice, I guess. Do you know um, what I think Maximum Male Models offer to the SmackDown Tag Division, Cedric? Much more than Hit Row and Los Lotharios combined. Because yes. this mess came next. They had all of three minutes to work with. And me and Wilborn talked a bit about Hit Row on the preview. Um, this is not a slight on them as individuals, and it's especially not a slight on the work of Ashanti the Adonis, but there's heavy lifting, and then there's insurmountable odds. And Hit Row over the course of a comeback that wasn't really asked for by the audience, but was nonetheless received quite well, have then been given the, um, so last week's SmackDown were given the several backstage bits treatment, which is typically indicative of a company they're interested in. You're kind of being invested in, isn't it? Oh, back to hit row, what are they doing? All to set up this nothing fluff match, which otherwise would feel wasteful, but you think, oh, we have to invest in them. But the act is crap. The work looks rubbish. Fans are not engaged at all and like it's one thing for WWE audiences to be quiet it's quite another for them not to be picking up the call and response cues and things like that however many weeks in i've lost count but it's not that many is the only answer here to turn these heel because i don't even think this is the fault of the talent i think triple h has got the bit between his teeth the right hip row and absolutely nobody else does and when you've made this comparison before this feels to me like the this is him at his most Vince McMahon currently. I like it, Ross, so it's happening. I yeah. like we're doing it because almost everything across Triple H's WWE to some degree feels like it's either connecting or people are finding it again and going, you know, I'm going to give that some time. I, I, I want to feel good about this product, so that's working for me. That might work in three weeks. The LA Knight thing is probably a good example of that. This couldn't be further from that. It's so weird because realistically, Hit Roll, they actually got a tiny bit of buzz tiny bit of buzz on nxt with was it the cypher that it was called yeah yeah and people were sort of shockingly sort of ah, this isn't the worst thing in the world sort of thing that's how i would um describe the level of praise directed towards it there was certainly potential there it was such a nice departure from the usual like black trunks kick pads we're gonna have a fight hard nose stuff that was going on at the time and that was kind of it. That was kind of it. There wasn't this huge sense that, you know, when people to this day still go on about, you know, the original incarnation of the Wyatt family could have been the biggest thing in WWE history and all that kind of stuff. That level of hyperbole was never applied to Hit Row. It was just something a bit different on NXT that kind of could have got over. Like NXT, like Triple H is treating it like this great lost sacred cow that was slaughtered that must be brought back and no one gives yeah. a toss. Like no one gives a toss. Um, I will say, yes, the correct, sensible thing to do at this point, because they're not connecting with baby face, uh, not connecting as baby faces, it's not going to happen. Um, neither are good enough to go on a singles run. They might as well just stay their course, be annoying on purpose for a few weeks, and then turn heel, and you might have something else with them. Um, Dollar hot tag is absolutely desperate stuff. Oh, it is. He's he's terrible. But <laughs> I'm saying on a, the sensible thing to do would be to turn them heel if this doesn't catch on and it just isn't going to. The selfish, perverse thing that I want them to do is to keep it going because it's 
bad and I find it funny. So, right, the, the match is nothing. It's a, it's a hot tag and it's a terrible one. Action Bronson can run the ropes better, which says something about the top dollar performer or the performance center or why not both, which is the theme of this podcast. He's just run stupid. It's, <laughs> it's, it's funny. His actual moves look dire. Um, that elbow drop is ridiculous. It's like he's smashing himself back first on the mat, and then his arm just kind of sticks out a little bit. <laughs> Drive it in there, you useless tit. I had to rewind this about 10 times. It's the funniest thing. I showed it to Murray in the office. I would recommend anyone listening to this podcast, once you finish the podcast, to just look it up, easy as you like, on YouTube. You don't have to go on your DVR or whatever, right? Watch Top Dollar as he does that um, move to two people, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. When he does uh, who better than top dollar? And then people are meant to say, not nada, and Michael Cole's the only one doing it. <laughs> he kind of can't even do his catchphrase, which is funny because if there's one thing you can learn, it's a catchphrase. Christ, even I can do that on a podcast. And he kind of does the Undertaker eyes as he's about to put them both on the mat. And <laughs> Funniest thing, he looks like an idiot and no control of himself whatsoever. I'll show you after this. Go and watch it. Go and watch Top Dollar Be Useless. It is priceless. Do you think he's just starting to uh, embrace his role as the locker room leader? You remember when he was the um, the gatekeeper of WWE like Hall of Fame kit when he was on that oh, show? He was he was uh, he was bullying. Was it like Sonny Ono or something? He's like, no, nah, you should give that over to WWE. Belongs in the uh, like that. Belongs in a Hall of Fame that doesn't exist. So yeah, he bought it. Yeah, oh, he's such a tease. Anyway, I'd, I'd like watching him not do good things. So I would like to keep them, just do this all the time. It's great. Um, I've not segue to the next thing we've got because we'll do the match and the angle here. Another short match um, to make a point that didn't really need making in truth. Ronda Rousey made fairly like work in Natalia. This wasn't bad. Like this was physical. They've got that, like, like we know that Natalia helped like Rousey get WWE ready a few years ago, and it's probably a match that they've had a thousand times, and it uh, didn't really like explore... a thousand times at this point. It seems yeah, it didn't explore anything too new, but like the work was solid enough. But the main thing really existed um, was for Natalia to take the loss, and Liv Morgan with a baseball bat that she said will be one of the many equalizers she got as a result of the extreme rule stipulation at the, uh, the premium live event on Saturday. Um, they get physical with one another. Rousey chucks her over the table. Um, security try and get Rousey away. Liv's charging at her. The bat isn't used yet, but you sense because it's like it's all decorative and very much made like Liv Morgan. It feels like it's going to come into play now in it, at Extreme Rules itself. Um, and they had the they love that visual of um, like especially when you're trying to get over someone like a Liv Morgan. Like, do you believe that she could really fight the world at this point? Well, we've got to look. It, we've got to make it look that way by stopping it. So it's Liv Morgan trying to fight through. Uh, just a mass of bodies to get to Rousey. And obviously, Rousey wants to get to uh, live. They've done this with Rousey before. Um, you know, if you think about like that, that epic um, police beatdown showdown yeah. with Charlotte and Becky. But the key difference to that and other examples is that you've really got to buy the babyface in that role. You've got to imagine that if only those people weren't there, this babyface would come out swinging. And this could just be a subjective take of mine. I don't know. But I just think that, like, that ship has sailed with Liv Morgan. And I, I felt like I was more watching the theatre that they put on to make me think a thing than actually making me feel a thing. I think it's terrible booking yet again um, connected to Liv Morgan here. Like, the optics are terrible. Like, you've got this 
heel ostensibly in the narrative in Ronda Rousey, who, as you said, makes light work of veteran presence, taps her out, clean as a sheet, right in the middle of the ring. And then you've got the baby face saying, well, I'm no match for your expert in-ring acumen and skill, so I've got loads of weapons. Like, terrible. Mm. Absolutely terrible stuff. She just looks like useless. And <laughs> she, does, she looks like she's useless in comparison to the far more skilled in-ring performer. She looks desperate. She looks, in short, not a thing like a baby face. As for the quality of the match, I didn't think it was really there. Like, they've tried this before, and it didn't work then, so why the hell would you do it again? Natalia and Ronda Rousey cannot do a worked MMA match to save their lives, in my opinion. Some of the... Uh, you're meant to feel, as this thing oscillates hold for hold, that if you're not ridiculously quick on the defensive, you're going to get a limb broken. And you can go through link upon link upon link of a chain of offense, if you like, a ZSJ, to make it seem like, right, that one that I was going to attempt, that's not even working because he's got the guard ready. So I'll just quickly transition it to something else. This was so trickly and just not good. I mean, it might be realistic, but not the good kind of pro wrestling realistic, if that makes any sense. And there was a bit where they're trying to do this kind of worked MMA match, at least WWE's not particularly um, undiluted version of it. And Natalia... Um, does this thing where she's about a register locking in the sharpshooter and that gives Ronda Rousey obviously more than enough time to counter it with a knee bar or whatever she was doing Yeah, it's like well don't do your submission theatrics in this kind of match because you made you were made to look like a tit and you were not for me not for me any of this at all I was fine to that point I was fine that when um, I'm not an MMA fan right I'm a wrestling fan and one of the reasons is, is because as somebody with an untrained eye, when I'm watching MMA, all I'm seeing is a whole lot of nothing. But that's because Play. the fighters can't give an inch. You cannot give so much as a least finger or a toe or whatever, because if the other person gets that, then you could be in trouble. I don't know how that trouble happens, but I'm aware that that's a lot of what's going on. It's this. I still see the commentary and they go, don't do that, don't do that. He's going to do that. It's like, do what? Yeah. There to your point, is the exact example of that, isn't it? Like, they're not going to look out, like, if they see a free elbow, they're not going to check with the fan, shall I get him? And shall then I get him? Got the free elbow, because these are the two different disciplines playing out. Are you ready for my sharpshooter? Hey, <laughs> hey. Don't do that. To, um, moving on to, to what I thought was a tremendous bit of business here, and to call back on a point you were making previously about how um, the circumstances can sometimes uh, give people excuses for bad booking or for lazy booking or whatever. Uh, we go to Imperium and Sheamus, not the Brawling Brutes, because uh, Ridge Fridge and Pete Dunn are unable to attend because of the hurricane. So it's Sheamus all alone. Now they're promoting the um, rematch from Clash at the Castle for this Friday SmackDown. I thought it was actually on the SmackDown following Extreme Rules, which does feel like it's taking the steam out of the six man, the Donnybrook Extreme Rules. Feels like taking the steam out of that a little bit by having the singles match first because that's the singles match we want. But either way, it's almost definitely going to main event on SmackDown's uh, season premiere next week. And Sheamus was all alone, but he brought an equaliser. Bit of a tribute to Finlay, of course. He's got the shillelagh there. Um, so we get the fight. That kind of goes as uh, as you would predict. Um, he takes out Ludwig Kaiser and he takes out uh, Giovanni Vinci. But Gunther wants to go man to man. And because Sheamus is the baby face and believes he can, he does. But because Gunther is the heel, in then comes Imperium again, and they dish out a beat, a beat down, which I imagine you absolutely loved for how it paid loving tribute to how vicious the clash match was. 
And I just thought, like, you just like to see these segments laid out like this. The babyface behaved as a babyface would. The heel behaved as a heel would. By the way, like, the heel can absolutely kick the shit out of you and got the opportunity to, even if he decided to wait until the odds were in his favour. This is fantastic. Absolutely great. I could not have thought more of Sheamus. They've done an absolutely spectacular job with Sheamus since Triple H took over. Made you think maybe he worked him at WrestleMania 26 because he did actually see something in him. Yeah. Can't be me, but you know, he can work oh. with me, which is just as good. Not just doing reps in the gym together. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. So I think like, he's just, he's booked Sheamus to perfection. It's been fantastic. The clash match was great. Um, just Sheamus doing the whole bit trite, but I loved it nonetheless. Is that all you got? Stuff was great. Mm. Again, great baby face work. And I've got a complaint about it because, of course, I do. Like, how can you book the Liv Morgan thing and then this on the same show and not realize what you the, what the problem is? What differentiates the two performers in terms of how they've connected with crowds and how one of them really drastically hasn't? Um, so that was stupid that they did both of these things on the sh- same show and expected a similar response, I think. But regardless, Gunther's just so scary. Sheamus is just so spirited. This is just what you want from professional wrestling. I will let them a million times go, we're wrestling now on the same show if this is what the wrestling on the show looks like. Well, right. It's funny you mention doing the same thing on the same show in relation to Rousey and Natalia because I thought they found themselves in a bit of an awkward spot with what came next. Um, Bailey, the heel, didn't have her friends with her because of the hurricane. Yes. So it was a bit odd having... Bailey then having to play this play this a different way. I don't think this was a failure by any means, but I just thought it was slightly awkward that you had these two things wedged next to each other when we've just used this difficult situation to get a baby face over. Now what you've got is Bailey basically just having to be a way more experienced and better wrestler than Shotty Blackheart. Um, Shotty's got a tank back, which is a generous big reaction from the crowd and the commentary and certainly everybody online because tanks don't give a shit and we should never forget about that. Um, look. This is no different to me personally than when a wrestler gets their name back and I fully expect Shotty to be Shotty Blackheart any day now and Austin Theory and Tommaso Ciampa and whatever. Um, I am not going to do... I'll do backflips over some things Triple H does, but this one doesn't... I'm not as high on this because really there are just some things that Vince McMahon should have never done in the first place and he was weird to do so. Yeah. Bring back is great, but why was a tank ever put in storage in the first place? It's a cool thing. Like, why was Vince McMahon thinking somebody riding a tank to ringside wasn't fun? Yeah. What gone wrong in his brain? You know, the guy that made this for all when we were kids. Anyway, the match isn't bad. It's uh, it's substantially better than your sort of, your typical SmackDown women's division match uh, because the, that, the quality rate has been through the floor for the last six months. And you see what happens when Bailey comes in. And ultimately, look, this is a WWE developmental problem. You've got to put um, people that still need the reps and still need the work in with somebody with a bit more experience. And Bailey at the moment seems like she's just basically got to be that. It was far from perfect because Shotzi has a style. I don't know. Like, is that a generous way to put it? Sometimes it's so. That's, how, that's how the commentators did it. Get away from how bad she is. Yeah. Sometimes the recklessness, and I think more on NXT than it ever was on the main roster. Sometimes the recklessness is quite um, dynamic, and it often there's a bit of an edge to the matches, but when she's in there with a professional that's just trying to get like a, a gentlewoman three out of her, it's it's sort of veers off and it goes off the rails a little bit. But Bailey was uh, never really not in charge. She gets the one with the rose plant and then after the match, um, and by the way, I should point out as well that like there was obviously Shotzi's 
recently had like these babyface acquaintances, but there were a number of people, and the injury bug must have bitten again with them in Canada that were unable to make. Oh, this. Aye, aye. So yeah, so Shotzi was pretty much going it alone this week, but then when Bailey after the match decided <laughs> decided to get out a ladder to use against her of all the weapons to choose, um, Bianca Belair runs in for the save and Bailey bails this. That again, based on who was absent, felt like it was very much a delaying tactic, and they went with the quickest. WWE insta finish that they could, which is wrestler uses weapon that they're going to use at the premium live event. Like not a lot really. I don't think I've said this before. I've got a lot of faith in the Bel Air Bailey match, but I don't think Triple H is getting anywhere near enough the grief for this failure to tell a particularly good story here. No, I did like in the post match the way that Bianca, because she's so good at projecting what she does and telling her stories, that uh the reversal and the way she registered. The fact that the crowd were like, oh, we're going to see the kiss of death. We're going to see the KOD. Like, she's just so good at building the anticipation for our big spots. This match was useless. I, I, you know, I must have been paying attention to much of SmackDown for the past six months because if this is significantly better than anything that's happened on there, Jesus, I'd be missing out on some Schadenfreude. Christ almighty. (laughs) When the commentary team has to incredulously talk around the fact that one of the wrestlers involved is not very good, and just you all, this is a match of euphemisms. This, I know she's got an unorthodox style, you can't really strategize for it because no one ever wrestles like that because she's <laughs> quite competent at their craft. Um, look, I know Shotzi's got an appeal, um, doesn't work on this kind of stage. I don't think it's like if you see Shotzi on the Indies, it's like, oh Christ, it's not the best match I've ever seen by half, but. She might come and do a suicide dive like right past my face or something, and I'm got to get out of the way, and it's a bit of a chaotic. It just doesn't work in this context whatsoever. She threw a drop kick in this match where I'm thinking, don't sell for that, Bailey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely do not sell for that. You're not embarrassing yourself by you you shouldn't sell for that under any circumstances because it didn't hit you. It didn't hit yeah. you. It's anything where the old RVD story where they just wouldn't sell for his kicks when he mm-hmm. went to Japan for his first tour and they just leathered him. He's like, oh, you're a bit hard on us. He's like, yeah, I'm not selling for that. Just kick us. I prefer yeah. it kicked than to be like embarrassed by being made to sell for like really flimsy offense. Yeah, I know. I'm just, it's one isolated spot and it wasn't the worst Shotzi match because I've seen some terrible ones. But yeah, it, what, what do you do? Oh, send about the performance center. No, because <laughs> they can't really train people. So I, I, there's no end in sight to this. No, there's, I think there's like Raw less so, maybe on numbers alone, but I think there's major, major problems in the SmackDown Women's Division that aren't going to be addressed, by the way, by um, Ronda Rousey regaining the title. Like you would anticipate her and possibly Shayna Baszler go on just a dominant run on this, but like look at this, look at the standard. It's not going to feel dominant if they're just battering these people that don't feel on their level. Yeah. I don't know the answer. I, like it needs desperately needs an injection of significant talent but it can't just be numbers it can't just be the quantity of people like it is in bad need of a quality upgrade as well oh yeah um main event time main event time in main event time i set up earlier on the show it's a it's a six-man tag that was set up before drew mcintyre johnny gargano and kevin owens versus alpha academy and austin theory um, this, (laughs) this was really good stuff at points um if you were able to direct your attention from michael cole Taking the piss with the deep dive references this week, it was Evolve um, referencing it was McIntyre and Gargano. He is doing this on purpose now because he, I think he must have become hooked on the online praise. 
Um, I can't even remember the one it was that he name checked the stardom act when Damage Katarl were doing the trios offense, and he name checked a stardom offense. And I think he's got high on his on his own supply at this point because he's just sitting there reciting notes that somebody else has got for him and like evolve. What the hell's that? And it's like it's something that's on our network, Michael. All right, okay, fine. I mentioned that. But um, you get those little moments between McIntyre and Gargano. You also get moments between Gargano and Owens because they're clearly developing something. As you pointed out, it does feel like babyface is all coming together at just the right time to start making it feel organic when it hits Survivor Series season and there's a War Games match to promote. Um, Gable, as usual, is just tremendous. He is wrestling like a man that is sniffing out like the first realistic chance he's ever got a proper singles push in this company because he is using these tag matches of which he is coming out on the losing end most weeks to elevate his partner, to elevate his act and indeed to elevate himself. There was just some absolute, like wicked strikes and wicked suplexes. You cannot get bored of them when the right people in there, such as a Kevin Owens or a big guy like Drew McIntyre bump fighter and you show your, like the gorgeous form, the arch of the suplexes. I think he's just, he's having like low key, one of the like sort of the breakout years of the wrestlers that have shone under Triple H. It doesn't, it might not look at in terms of results or pushes for right now, but he's potentially mortgaging his future the way he's working at the moment. And I just thought that was like he was the standout yet again in what was otherwise like just a really fun um house show special, a WWE house show special transposed onto television. I think as a show, SmackDown is out of juice for the extreme rules build. But if you have to do something, there are worse things to do than this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always am impressed, and it was something similar to Jericho versus Bandino, when a show goes out of its way to make me hate it or make me hate something with a stupid fake setup, and when it arrives, something that's ostensibly very good, like this match was. Yeah. And it's like, oh, what's the point? I hate it now. I- <laughs> Because the, the writing is absolutely terrible. I'll never not point it out. And then it happens. That's really fun. Yeah. I was in a mood. I was prepared to not like this because I was put into a bad mood. Because it's all about the mood you get put in. It's all about... I, I've seen... I'm 37. The amount of quote-unquote good matches I've seen. Like, I have no conception whatsoever about certain reviewers, certain fans. And it's fine. I wish I, I honestly wish I was more like this. Who go, great match. Things wow. You were made to not really care about it. How can you get? How can you give a toss about a great match? It has to be more. It has to be more for me. It has to be more. And then this was so much fun that I thought, you know what? I'm just going to stop being a boring bastard and get into it. I'll tell you what I did like because you know the spots were in the right place. Kevin Owens is really good. Chad Gable's stuff on the outside looked positively vicious. I like how they kind of production botched the finish. Mm. Because it looked absolutely frenetic, like yeah. it could barely be caught because it was so fast paced. I like a little bit of wonkiness in my wrestling. WWE yeah. has completely spent the last decade or century rather stripping all of that away, frittering away <laughs> this ironic quest for perfection when they don't capture everything and it's all a bit chaotic. Good. It's meant to feel full of life. It's meant to feel like it's not the stilted thing for the cameras to catch. So I enjoyed the last minute and I saw. The, the reviewers that I hate, one day they'll get name and shame, but I can't be asked for the political blowback at the minute. <laughs> I'll name and shame. Oh, missed the finish. Good. It means that was kind of out of control and frenetic and lively and fun and realistic and all the rest of it. Like, God damn it. Everything has to be produced within an inch of its life. I hate yeah. it. I'm going to start burying them soon. The reference point I always go to for that, 
for, for that specific example of how that sort of that lack of production genuinely helps from reviewing experience, and this is a lofty comparison, which very little can live up to it, is the Dallas 10 man, where no matter from the year 2000 on Monday Night Raw, where no matter where the camera is, sounds like a chair shot, but it's the yeah. other way around. There's pops, the camera's on something and it's not popping in time. The crowd aren't popping in time with what you're watching because they're popping at something else. Yeah. Five individual mini brawls that are all electrifying in their own way. Um, and the closest I've ever seen wrestling come to that is anarchy in the arena. And how much was that celebrated for what you couldn't see as much as what you could? Yes. So, you know, it's absolutely, it's something to definitely aspire to when you've got confidence in your wrestlers and confidence in your action to speak for itself. So um, I certainly have no problem with that. And uh, I too would like those reviewers to be slightly more discerning. Would you like them to be more discerning too? Why not let us know about that in the reply to this tweet uh, that will be going out shortly when we've got this podcast uploaded, if indeed we can today. We, uh, we thank you for staying patient with our technical issues and um, that might continue for the rest of like, the next couple of days, um, but obviously, hopefully, all be sorted at Walk Up Studios soon. Um, if they want to try and needle you, Sidgwick, for who these uh, bad faith people are, where can they find you on Twitter? I'm not going to give it off. <laughs> At M Sidgwick. I am at uh, Michael Hamlet. There'll be uh, more podcasts coming, including the Raw preview, which will be coming your way later today. And until then, we will see you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.